On our last episode, Natalia Richer from Diaper Testing International shared her insights on the complexity of testing hygiene products and started to give her perspectives on the trends she is seeing in absorbent baby products. Well, on this episode, Natalia will continue to share the latest trends plus other insights on the industry from her experience in testing products and researching consumer preferences. Welcome to Attached to Hygiene, the podcast that enables you to grow your knowledge and influence in the absorbent hygiene industry. My name is Jack Hughes, and my mission is to help you, the absorbent hygiene article producer, design and produce the best possible products to meet the needs of your customers. On today's episode, we're continuing our conversation with Natalia Richer, COO of Diaper Testing International, about trends and innovations in baby diapers and pants. Natalia will continue to share her insights on trends in absorbent baby products before talking about consumer expectations, sustainability, and what the future holds for baby diapers and pants. Any other trends that you're that you're seeing that have really stuck out to you in the last two years, or maybe you're starting to see some stuff that could potentially take off in the market? Sure. I mean, the ones that we've been seeing for a couple of years now, that it's uh, the slow evolution towards thinner products in general and thinner diaper core that, you know, just fits more comfortably. I mean, especially for the and in the adult incontinence and femme hygiene sectors where it absolutely has to do with the, the comfort, the dignity of the user. But the same can be said for, for baby diaper products that they're in general becoming thinner while still offering that high capacity and excellent performance. Something that has been enabling converters to provide thinner cores has been one, offering channeled products. So when the core has channels, it helps just distribute liquid along more effectively, giving us better pad utilization. It gives us better core integrity so that the product kind of stays in place and doesn't sag. So all that back to the trend of thinner diaper cores. Also uh, diaper cores that are made from, with just a higher sap ratio, even just fluffless products, a lot being made in, in Asia in general, being made with pre-made cores that also are typically made with the, you know, absorbent paper instead of the traditional fluff and sap. That was going to be my question, though. One thing we talked about on uh, our recent Asia-Pacific episodes was the evolution, but also, I guess, the migration of the compound and pre-compound cores, those, those pre-made cores. And I was curious if you've seen that. I don't know if they started to creep into the, the America's market yet, but my understanding was because a lot of the there are a lot of machine manufacturers in China that are producing products for Asia with those pre-compound and compound capabilities. As those machine producers are sending products to say Eastern Europe or Africa, those compound and pre-compound cores are gaining popularity in those markets because that's what the machinery that they're using is providing. And I'm sure we'll maybe see more of that in Latin America too. And as more machine manufacturers end up moving into Western and North America as well. Yeah, absolutely. And 
Right. So definitely more of a trend in emerging countries that still have, you know, lower market penetration. We're seeing really the barriers to entry being lowered for manufacturers where now they don't need to have a SAP, um, a drum former, you know, the, the whole thing that can be a lot of headaches for manufacturers where now you can just purchase pre-made cores. Uh, so you know how the barrier to entry to brands was definitely lowered in the in the recent years when before it was only the giants KC, Procter and Gamble, and then the giant retailers, so so Walmart and et cetera. But with the taking off of direct to consumer through the internet sales, that barrier to entry was lowered. So now we have a lot of, of smaller competitors, which is great. So that's kind of an analogy to now what I'm thinking is going to happen to converters, where the barrier to entry to, to start a new diaper factory is also going to be significantly reduced when you don't need to invest into all these other modules. Yeah, yeah. I think there's going to go continue to see more and more competition. And I'm curious to see if that means we see a kind of a period of an increase in competition that we're starting to see now. And we see a lot in the period care market, for sure. I think the barriers to entry there are lower than maybe diapers, depending on the product that you're producing. But we're seeing it in diapers and we're seeing it in adult incontinence products. But as you see in some industries, I'm I'm a beer, not aficionado, but a beer advocate. And you see, you know, all these craft breweries popping up and you start to see them getting bought out by AB InBev or Miller or whatever. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if some of these uh, bigger, the bigger players in the market start to buy up some of the smaller players to get either some of their market share or some of their technology, um, or you see some of the smaller players start to combine um, again to compete more on a scale and market penetration rate with some of the bigger players. I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we've hit that that tipping point, but I could see that potentially happening in uh, maybe you know 10 years down the line. Yeah, that would be really exciting. I I don't think that they see this opportunity, right? The smaller players are so focused on competing against the other smaller players that they don't see that the pie is actually so much bigger. I just feel like all the small D2C brands, and even when they make their ads, they're grabbing assets against the other D2C brands. Like they're trying to steal customers from the other D2C brands when, you know, they're just battling for that, you know, 2% of the U.S. market when it's, Really, when you want to compete against KC and Procter & Gamble, where you would be sharing like the bigger portion of the pie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it'll be interesting to see where that goes because, you know, obviously KC, Procter & Gamble, great products in the market. They have the weight of those companies behind them and all the R&D and technical and experience, you know, just decades in the market. But, you know, certainly room for increased competition and um and taking share, not just from from other smaller players, but from them, which maybe they don't love to hear, but that, you know, they're innovating and they're, you know, doing everything they can to keep that market share as well. So it's, uh, you know, it's just driving the industry forward and driving the technology. And ultimately, as I've talked with other people, it, that just benefits the end consumer because they're getting better products, yes. probably getting cheaper products, more options, you know, whether it's going to the store or getting them shipped to your house, you know, there's, there's just so many more options that out there. And you mentioned this, I think, on our call with uh, or the session that we had that you had with Heidi earlier this year, that like the the millennial parents now are like the most educated ever, you know, with not just from a 
purely academic standpoint, but just from the amount of information out there. And that makes it that makes it more a bigger challenge for producers because consumers are more well informed and they maybe they don't use the same language that we do, but they're they're starting to ask for more and they're they're starting to see, you know, I've seen parents out there, but also organizations out there doing testing and publishing that data and saying like that, hey, this works better than that, or this is my experience with my baby with this product. And I I tried these 25 diapers and this is what I thought, you know, it's uh that's something you probably didn't have even 10 years ago that was really easily available on platforms like Instagram or on these blogs or things like that. And um, it's driving the industry forward. It's it, but it's, it's a challenge for producers for sure. And for the, you know, the suppliers that supply them, because then that, you know, those, those expectations change for us as well. Yeah. I, I love that take, you know, just driving the industry forward when, when you can have better competition, you can be focused on really, truly delivering the best product out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it always really benefits the consumer, which is, you know, I guess, from my standpoint, that's yeah, you know, that's what we want, and um, you know, it's it's big in baby diapers. You definitely want that in period products and adult incontinence products as well. It's especially given the you know how important those products are. So we've touched on this a little already. We we kind of talked about the migration of compound core and and the migration of pants, but I'm just curious, sir, are you seeing any any other trends that have a big difference by by the region where they're originating, or or maybe they did, you know, a trend that didn't do so well in one region and migrated to another and really took off. Are there any examples of, of that out there? Well, we see in general a trend also for focus on safety. And there, the focus on safety and on greener materials, greener construction, just better eco-friendly practices that I think sometimes get confused as just being put into like the umbrella of eco-friendliness. So everyone, you know, all my clients want to do better, do better for, you know, we all understand what the implications of our industry mean, of the, the challenges to disposing um, of the impact on the environment. Everyone wants to do better when, when we're talking about, you know, the, the converters, the brand owners. But when we're trying to understand what the consumer drive is, I think um, oftentimes everything gets put into this umbrella of of eco-friendliness, of everyone wanting these more eco-friendly products. But I believe that it's a little bit more complicated in the sense that there is this group, but oftentimes this group, you can divide it into two further groups, right? The ones who actually what they want is a safer product. Like they believe that you know, if there's less plastic in the product, it's going to be better for their baby, regardless of the environment. So when they shop around, they closely associate plant-based ingredients or, or, you know, all these claims that have to do with the eco-friendliness with something that they translate to product safety when it's not necessarily so. But this group, I find, is much, much bigger than the true eco-warriors that actually want to purchase a product that is better for the environment. But in doing that, I think you kind of do two birds with one stone where you're also hitting the ones who just want the best for their baby and they think that that's something that comes from nature is going to be more gentle on their baby. So we do see this trend, uh, but when it comes to the true more eco-warrior uh, drive, I see that much more in, in Europe 
where the end consumer is actually willing to sacrifice on performance just to be able to get something that has maybe a cleaner supply chain or somewhat claims toward its disposal, which at this point I'm calling claims because really they all end up in the landfill and we know what that looks like. But I find that in the U.S. there is definitely lower inclination towards sacrificing and performance-led is still the winning route towards uh, product design. Yeah, yeah, it's... uh... It's not something I'd love to hear, but it's something that you have to accept. You know, the fact that that at the end of the day, price and performance, performance and price are, are the big drivers in the market, at least in the U.S. And the, as you said, the amount of people that are willing to sacrifice on those things for a product that, you know, is better for the environment is just it's just not there yet. That group is getting bigger, but not super quick. And that's a really interesting point on the kind of the we want to call it product safety side of things or the perception of product safety. Something I hadn't, I guess I hadn't really realized until you mentioned it is just, you know, having talked to or heard, you know, promotions from some of the, maybe what we would call more eco-driven brands in the United States um, in particular, but also in Europe. I guess I just noticed when you said that, that a lot of them lead with safety. They lead with, okay, we have a, we have a cotton product, you know, or, or, you know, some sort of, more sustainable material used in their product. And while the end implication of that is a more sustainable diaper or more sustainable product, as you said, the end life for every diaper is pretty much the same. Either it's getting buried in a landfill or burned, hopefully. Uh, sometimes they don't end up in landfills or, or burned, but you know the industry isn't there yet. But they're always leading with the safety side of things. You know, it's a, it, you know, there's less plastic, so it's better for the baby. It's better for the the person who's menstruating, it's, you know, who's using the product. And so I, I hadn't really thought about that. And it makes sense given the limitations on the end of life right now. But yeah, that it makes perfect sense that that group is bigger and therefore that these companies are communicating to that group because that's what they care about. And maybe there's a the back end effect of producing more sustainable products. But as you said, that's not it's not necessarily the focus. Um, and that's really interesting. I, I hadn't thought of that until you you mentioned that. Yeah, we actually did a, a really big deep dive analysis to consumer reviews on Amazon a couple of years ago. I, Irene and I presented that at Hygienics, but it was it was that weird Hygienics where everyone was at home. Mm-hmm. I think it was a 2020 Hygienics. Yeah, I attended that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The cocktail hour was funny, right? Right, it's a, yeah, a little awkward. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But during that presentation, we kind of data mined all the reviews in Amazon, and we focused for this specific analysis on the all the four and five star reviews of verified users, and we analyzed all the words that they were using when they were communicating what they liked about their diaper, right? Because this was these were positive reviews, and we kind of made a pool of all the words that were eco friendly. So anyone that said foot environmental footprint or just footprint right like we were separating all the words footprint green you know all those it, it, and in the end it was like maybe 30 words that were closely associated with environmentally better safer product and, and on the other hand we put all these other words that had to do more with safety so anyone talking about harsh chemicals phthalates we grabbed all these different words and we found that the folks who were talking about loving the product due to it being greener 
were very, very few. It was for greener brands like Pampers Pure and Honest, it was as low as uh, 1% or less of all the reviews mentioned anything that had to do with something uh, with green. Whereas when we grabbed the safety type words, they were as high as 10%. So really is that the consumers, at least in the United States that are buying these premium brands, really what they care about more is that it's better for their baby, that it's safe, that they're not exposing them to these like scary sounding chemicals. So the, in approaching this, like knowing that this is the, the driver, approaching this is two ways. One being, okay, when you you know, like cotton blends, more plant-based materials, biosap, whatever it is, you are hitting on this market to some degree, obviously. Uh, but you can also do the alternative, which is talking about these these things that are scary to them, like saying, hey, we don't have phthalates. We, you know, don't have whatever it is, heavy metals. So we see some companies like in the United States, I think it's only Coterie, that actually share their analytical testing to share what the results are. And I don't, the consumers can't read them. But, you know, the fact that they're being shared is saying, hey, we have this transparency with you. Uh, we're committed to sharing what we, how safe we are. And I know in France, this is actually kind of a need, not a want. Like to sell in France, you have to disclose these testings. But in the U.S., it's completely obviously optional. Uh, but we have some brands that are doing that, trying to, to head on this market of, of parents who are concerned. Yeah, absolutely. And I, one thing I thought of is an effective marketing approach is playing on fear. And so being able to talk about the absence of certain chemicals that consumers might not understand is, is a effective approach. But I was also thinking that being able to relate that to something that they are very concerned about, which is their baby, and is very relatable as opposed to relating it to the environment, which the direct kind of impact of climate change of whatever on the environment isn't super visible and apparent to everybody on a daily basis, particularly in the United States, how that that would be a much more effective, you know, message, not to get into the psychology of marketing, but yeah. that's what I like. So I, that kind of, as you were making those comments, that's what hit me was like, yeah, that would be a much more effective way of capturing the attention of your audience to focus on the safety side of things as opposed to the sustainability side of things. Yes, absolutely. No, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. But yes, that's the, the approach and the uh, overall the move towards more sustainable materials is a positive one. It's one that I'm happy with. But yeah, the, as you said, the, at least in the United States, the focus on safety and what is maybe absent from products as opposed to the end of life benefits for those products. And that, I mean, it seems to be an effective marketing strategy and it, it's working and all you see the growth of these companies my hope is that the you know down the line and not too distant future the focus comes more to that end of life as we have more of those solutions that are better for the planet as well as the the baby or the consumer but we're not quite there yet but we're getting there i know there's there are lots of things happening lots of pilots happening in the industry to to make those those end of life solutions more sustainable yeah, I hope that can be an actual solution in the future. Because right now, when any brand wants to kind of clean up their product, really the only thing that they can focus on is on basing their materials on more renewable resources rather than non-renewable resources. But that's about it. Yeah, we're not 
portion out super close to a truly circular process, if you will. Yeah. You know, it's at the end of the day, it's still, you know, where products aren't fully compostable. They're, you know, they're, or that, you know, or as in the case of the United States, the composting industry just isn't there to support a fully compostable product on a, on a larger scale. And, but we're getting there at, you know, we, like I said, we're seeing progress. It's maybe slower than some of us would like, but it's progress nonetheless, which I guess is all you can ask for. No. So coming up to the end and here, um, I want to be conscious of your time, but I have kind of two questions. The first one is, you know, of all the products that you're testing and that you're seeing and then the feedback you're seeing from these, I keep calling them field tests, but the, the consumer conversations, I guess, what have you found most surprising when it comes to some of the trends that you're seeing or the, the feedback that you see on products? Let's see, from consumer testing, uh, we ran a couple home use tests. Actually, this month alone, we concluded two home use tests. But I guess if I needed to speak about some of the surprises that I've been seeing, one was when I found that consumers in the United States are open to the wider chassis of diapers, right? In the United States, most of the diapers are in the fashioned after the Pampers narrow chassis. And the ones that are coming in from China that have these like wider, my kind of gut feeling originally was, hey, this doesn't look like what we're used to, so it's going to be rejected. It has this kind of extra fabric feel that sometimes when you put it on the baby kind of feels like if you're not putting it on correctly, there's going to be these extra like fabric coming up, riding up to their belly. So I thought that that was going to be the perception. But, you know, and, and testing them with parents, I found that there is a good reception to this type of, of open um, not wider chassis model. And we have seen some of these brands being imported from China, taking off in Target and Walmart, you know, Millie Moon, Rascal and Friends that have this wider type of chassis are actually having pretty good reviews with the with the parents here. So they're they're working from a fit perspective, which was surprising. Are they are they performing just as well? Is there any impact on performance for having a wider chassis versus a thinner one? Well, sometimes it can be a slightly better fit because they have a lot more elastics on the wider chassis that conform all around the back waist. But the products made from China typically are, or at least these, uh, like Millie Moon and Rascal and Friends, they're typically slower, have a, a lower acquisition speed. But again, this can be offset by better fit. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So last question here. Given your experience, given all the all the products you see and all the conversations you're having with different players in the market, and we've alluded to some of this a little, but I'm curious, you know, how do you see baby diapers evolving in the coming five to ten years? If you could pull out your crystal ball, like what is what is the big one or two things that you see changing or or maybe even staying the same in the next decade, decade or so? I guess kind of like a summary to what we've been discussing. Definitely focus on elastics, on pants, all around pants. We the readjustable pants as well, such as the one that Coterie launched. I'm expecting these type of products to take off, whether it's adding more elastics to a current tape type product or just seeing more in terms of launches and sales of pant type products. That's something that I think is going to 
be beneficial to the way that parents currently diaper change and is going to get reflected in just sales and volumes in the next couple of years. Other than that, obviously, the focus on greener practices, mostly, at least in the United States, mostly without being able to sacrifice on performance. So whenever something can be more environmentally friendly, be made with renewable resources without impacting performance negatively, I think that that's also going to be one of the trends that we see where at least the focus already exists as long as we can start delivering without saying, hey, but you're going to get more leaks or, you know, your baby's going to be uncomfortable. In adult incontinence and femme hygiene, we don't see these sort of trade-offs happening where no one would wear a brief that's going to be uncomfortable, that is going to be maybe made out of viscose so that it's going to be feeling wet. Like no one does this for adult incontinence. And and I think for baby diapers, this sacrifice, at least from Americans, is not they're not ready to sacrifice on this for the baby either. So once we can do that without the sacrifice, that's that's going to be great for 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 product development. We hear many many people in the industry say like that at the end of the day the product has to work. You know, it has to work and and function as intended. And um, that trade off balance, you know, just isn't there yet. Where where can you know a large group of consumers would be able to sacrifice, as you said, sacrifice that in order to have a more eco-friendly, you know, environmentally friendly, sustainable end of life product. You know, as much as someone like me who, who has the, I guess, the benefit of not having to use the products, uh, you know, it's easy for me to, to preach and say that that would be great. You know, the product has to work and, you know, the end of the day convenience, the convenience of a, of a disposable diaper is just really, really hard to beat. And the product is products out there in the market work. And so getting people to move away from that for the benefit of the environment just isn't going to happen yet, you know? And so I'd like to see it happen sooner rather than later, but uh, you got to sell what, what consumers want. And that, that's what the, the market is delivering right now. And on a personal note for the future of diapers, I don't know that this is necessarily going to happen because it requires higher SKUs and you know, most most brands can't really be affording to have all these sorts of different SKUs. But I would love to see products that are made for the intended use so that with day diapers, the use is different, the night diapers, and they should be designed differently. And one, two, three diapers are used differently in the sense that the baby isn't moving. And why is it exactly the same core, exactly the same design? as a size five diaper that has completely different needs for the baby. So um, I think that's an area of opportunity, let's say, not necessarily something that's going to happen, but it's there. It's an area of opportunity. And I would love to see more folks taking all this into account as they design their products. Yeah. Well, and I I had to imagine someone out there can do that, even if, you know, maybe the the profits aren't as big if you don't have a, a full, you know, product line, but I imagine there's got to be someone out there that could focus on creating a diaper for that that one to three range that functioned and is differently than than the four diaper, even if they're just producing diapers for that range. Uh-huh. You know, we see niche products in the market all the time, you know, in other other industries and no reason that can't happen here and companies could still make a, a profit from that. So it's a really interesting concept. And yeah, something I, you know, like I said, as not having kids and, you know, not being a parent, not really realizing that, yeah, if the, the child's in a, you know, a car seat or a 
carrier or, you know, a, a crib or something all day, like that diaper doesn't, is going to have different needs and functional, you know, requirements than once they start moving. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Natalia, thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing your, your experience, your expertise on the diapers in the market and some of the trends you're seeing. I certainly walk, I'm walking away with a lot of new information. I know our audience will too. So thank you so much for your time. Hey, thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. I loved having this conversation. This episode was sponsored by Cotton Incorporated. As the global baby care market continues to grow, so does parents' demand for natural, safe, and earth-friendly products for their babies. Learn more about Cotton as a natural leader in the global baby care market by visiting Cottonworks at cottonworks.com baby care brochure. Cottonworks is your go-to tool and guide for producing outstanding cotton products. Discover what's possible with cotton. Create a free account today at cottonworks.com. So there you have it. The last two episodes should have given you a good sense of what changes have been happening in baby diapers and pants over the last few years. And you should also have some insights on the trends and ideas that will be leading to product innovations in our industry over the next five to 10 years. Attached to Hygiene is brought to you by Boston and is hosted by me, Jack Hughes. It is produced and edited by me with the help of Michelle Tonkovitz, Emery Chernis, and Nikki Ackerman at Green Onion Creative. And our post-production is done by Podcast Boutique. Our theme music is by Jonathan Boyle. Once again, we'd like to extend a special thank you to our guest today, Natalia Richer. You can follow Natalia and DTI on LinkedIn for more absorbent hygiene market insights. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.